0: Anthony yes what am I what am I what am I drinking
1: you and it and I do not understand why uh you are drinking a root beer right and the reason why I don't understand why is why are you drinking a bubbly drink before we record oh because you're afraid I'm gonna burp (laughs) I am afraid you're gonna burp (laughs) that's why I hit the mute button okay good good as long as you don't burp like mid sentence (laughs) then we'll be fine yeah, that, that will,
0: that's happened. Uh, that has happened on this <laughs> it's, podcast. It's producer Nick's favorite thing in the whole wide world. <laughs> I, bet, I bet it is. Um, no, well, it's actually a diet root beer. A diet root beer. Why would you ever do that to yourself? So, okay. I've been tweeting a little bit about it, but I've been trying to diet. Because yeah. my doctor says I need to lose some weight. And I know I need to lose some weight. I need to get in shape. Part of it is tough because I'm also awaiting a call to finally get my ADHD diagnosis figured out, which Uh is hard because when you have ADHD, it's really hard to organize your life and to create new habits in general. Sure, it's actually incredibly tough. I'm learning. (laughs) I'm like, this is this works great for two days, and then it's gone because something got busy, and then it's just your brain just can't work to organize things well. Mm -hmm. So, so I was trying different things. First, I tried the calorie count, and that was crazy stupid. Crazy stupid in what way? Because everything's got calories. Yeah, that's why it's food. That's that's the important like you need right. those. The thing is, when you're like, counting, like it was, they were saying to lose X amount of weight in three months, you would have to do seventeen hundred and fifty calories a day. Okay, which is not a lot. No, I learned. no, that's not a lot at all. Because uh, even carrots have calories. So then, okay, fine. So that wasn't
1: <laughs> the audacity of carrots.
0: I know, not so even that, that work...
1: good. How dare they have calories?
0: They're fine. They're they're fine. They're carrots. they stupid. Um so okay, that didn't work out. So then someone a bunch of people were saying, hey, try Weight Watchers. Okay, fine, I'll I'll give it a shot. And it worked better because things like fruit and vegetables had no points. Turkey and chicken had no points. Mm-hmm. So those were those were things I could work with a bit more. But then then other things happened. Then a parishioner dropped off a lasagna for me. <laughs> then another parishioner dropped off chocolate chip cookies for me. Oh my. Then another one dropped off some homemade scones. Delightful. What kind of scones? Yeah. Blueberry. Mm. But, you know, still, those anything with carbs has mucho points with Weight Watchers. Right. And you had you to eat, eat all those things. Well, I couldn't eat all of them on my own, but it would be rude not to eat some of them. You <laughs> know, I give, I give, I I share in everything. It's just, like, no, no, trust me, if I ate everything everyone gave to me, I would be a balloon. Yeah. <laughs> So okay, so I'm sharing all this, but I'm, I'm at least trying to stick with diet soft drinks. I, I mean, everyone's like, "Oh, diet soft drinks are still bad." And I'm like, "Yeah, they probably are, but they're not as bad as sugary ones." And my taste buds have developed to appreciate diet soft drinks a bit more. Like, it's not as bad as it used to be. Like, I remember when I was twenty, I'm like, oh, this stuff is disgusting." Mm-hmm. Now it's like, okay, it's better. I can deal with this. I can. this it's 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 sufficient. Um, but it's really. Okay, it's just tough to diet as a priest. Sure, if you're a normal person, yes, because you go to people's houses. What are you going to do when they put, you know, a very carb-heavy dinner in front of you? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm dieting. I can't eat this. You can't do that. Or when people give you food, you can't just give. You can't just you know not eat it because you're on a diet. Again, I think kind of rude. And now I mean, obviously you can inform your parishioners. Hey guys, I'm on a diet. Sorry, Nick is going to kill me now because I just burped into the mic. <laughs> He's going to keep that one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, um, but you know, it's it's really hard to diet as a priest. I don't know. It's like Harrison. I feel I feel like it's impossible. Harrison,
1: you're making this too complicated. Okay. What you need to do is not change your eating habits. What you need to do is lift. And I don't even mean, you don't even worry about lower body. Like, just shoulders, arms, chest. That's all you have to do. And if people ever like, oh, father, I thought you were working out, shouldn't you be eating healthy? You just say, I'm bulking right now. And the thing is, as your arms and shoulders get bigger, you can pretend that your gut is your powerlifting gut. No. And so, you are in shape, and you get super strong.
0: My doctor said I have what he calls like, it's like metabolic syndrome. So I have to cut out like, I have to cut out a lot of sugars and stuff.
1: You're saying you are too big. I'm saying you must
0: become bigger.
1: (laughs) It's, it's a much easier strategy. Just eat whatever, eat as many pop tarts as you want and bench press. This is the solution. This is is the road, the straight and narrow path I have laid before you. It doesn't, doesn't lose the fat. I need to lose the fat. You don't need
0: to. You just yes, like go for
1: the power physique. No. It's I a
0: shame. I need shape. to lose the fat. I need to lose it, the fat. It's an intimidating one. Otherwise, I might die of a heart attack in 15 years.
1: Okay. But you'll die jacked and isn't that <laughs> you will be too big for the coffin isn't that the desire of all mankind <laughs> I do not want to be Father Stephen don't Steve you want Bruno? a custom made coffin that's extra wide for your huge <laughs> shoulders this I don't understand the problem here I'm, I'm trying to empathize I'm trying to be pastoral but you're making it very difficult for me I
0: want to actually get into exercise I've tried it I've gotten a little bit better I haven't built the habit for it yet yeah. but again part of it is just the ADHD stuff sure. and I need to get that in order so that I can then build the habit oh everyone I talked to a friend the other day he goes when I when he got on meds like his first day he studied for 12 hours straight in university well he was just able to focus I'm like oh my gosh that sounds like a superpower yeah does so i think when i have that like but it's just it's just i don't know like you just knows it like i mean listen again i'm really grateful that people are so generous in giving food away yeah. and I, I will get some parishioners. some parishioners kind of found out that i'm trying to eat healthier so they're dropping off tomatoes and cucumbers from their garden and stuff like that which is good cuz that's the stuff i should be eating more of if um, you
1: mention in a homily that you are trying to lose weight and eat healthier that will be the best accountability structure you can ever make because every parishioner, the first thing they'll talk to you is about your eating habits. Are you eating healthy? You will literally have hundreds of people looking out for your weight
0: if you mention that in a homily on a Sunday. Yeah, but then that'll just create anxiety for me because that's the only <laughs> thing people are ever asking me. <laughs> right? Hey, I'm not saying there's going to be sacrifices. I'm just giving you very viable <laughs> options. Okay. All right. <laughs> anyway, so it's... It's tough to diet as a priest. That's the point here, and uh, I'm grateful for people's generosity, obviously. But it's just, it's like, okay, how can I, how can I just maybe eat more moderately things instead? Is the question I'm trying to engage with. Mm-hmm. So I support yeah. this endeavor. Joking okay. aside, yes, okay, good. It's hard too when Wendy's is only five minutes away. Ooh, ooh, it's true. It's right there. Mm-hmm. No spicy nugs still in Canada. Really? I know. I know. I'm very disappointed in this. Yep, it's right there. Anyways, ha- welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Harrison.
1: I'm Father Anthony. Unlike you, uh, Harrison, I subsist entirely on the Eucharist and protein shakes, so weight is not a problem for me. I'm doing just fine. I well, have... that's
0: because you do you do you do not eat.
1: That's true. That's a, that's the one thing, and that's the that's that's my struggle. Is that I've never been <laughs> a good eater, and if you're not a good eater as a priest, that means you don't love people. Because if you don't eat everything that they give you, that means you don't love them. And so I have to convey my love to them and not eat their food. It's very difficult, but I'm not going to talk about that. (laughs) I'm going to talk about something maybe painfully obvious, but I'm going to just say it anyway. Confession
0: works. Uh Uh-huh. Confession is so good. Are you talking about as a a, uh, receiver or... Or dispenser. Oh, no, no, no. I don't care about other
1: people. This is all about me right now. So I go to confession like uh, once a month. I meet with my spiritual director once a month. And he's the one I go to confession to. And I just had a meeting with him. And oh, my goodness. It's not like I've been like throwing like bags of kittens into the river or anything. I haven't been doing any like major sins. But uh, going back to the sacraments along with spiritual direction, I just feel so much better. And it's hope springs anew and i have plans going forward to be a holier person and it makes me so happy and it's also a good reminder because because this is the struggle as as a priest is that you know you hear confessions all the time and it can become ordinary for you because it's just it can be this is just the next person in line and to a certain extent you kind of have to turn off your brain a little bit because mm-hmm. there's no way you can do all of that and hear all these different sins and all this stuff without becoming Um, slightly detached from that, right? A healthy detachment, you know, you can go too far with that. But going to confession myself is always also a good reminder that while someone coming into confession to me, it might just be another person, but for them, it's a big deal. And so me experiencing what a big deal and how freeing and good confession is, is a delightful reminder that what we do is so important.
0: Yes yeah it's yeah go ahead sorry
1: well yeah because like, you can get really caught up in all the parish stuff and what we're doing for mass schedules and covid and faith formation and this who wrote an angry email to us all and why aren't you saying enough about abortion and why aren't you saying enough about helping the poor and why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing that and you can forget that hearing confessions is some of the best work god's work really but you're, you're you're there is the one of the best things you can possibly do and if you're doing that every week then then things are probably going to be okay
0: overall mm-hmm. i think yeah it's it's something i try to get to I, now that i've moved i actually can't get to it as often as i used to which you know it is the way it is mm-hmm. um i tried to get to it every three or four weeks myself and um it is it is good and i I mean i love it and I, i like i've been hearing more confessions in my new parish which has made me very happy yeah um and that's been really good it's it's just good man i don't know it is it is really just good and it's good that we can be available for that it's hard it's hard to be available all the time but you you need to be available and, and it's good to remind yourself yeah i think it's important for people to remember that yeah priests go to confession too now at least they better unfortunately yeah unfortunately i think so often people think oh you're going to confession therefore you must have mortal sin on your soul yeah no not necessarily I mean, I mean, it's true yeah. i mean it's true the eucharist has uh the eucharist forgives our venial sins mm-hmm. this is true um, there is something I think there is still a grace that it's at work, even if you just go with venial sins to confession. Um, um, you know, and priests are sinners too. Yeah. You know? And we actually have a lot of opportunities for things to confess. Oh, how I treated my staff, how I treated a parishioner, how maybe in conversation with a friend I was too arrogant or something like that. And those are important things to bring to confession And to be held accountable to it by another priest Especially a director is really important yeah. I have kind of a sort of spiritual director I need to get back into that mm-hmm. not, I, Yeah, I need to get back into that Yeah, you do Yeah, so Yeah Well um, You're leading this episode, what are you doing? I know, I'm just being, <laughs> I'm just being awkwardly quiet Which purpose. is good,
1: it's good our second episode after the Bishop Robert Barron episode. Let's real let's really phone it in for our new listeners here.
0: <laughs> uh let us go into the Summa Theologica.
1: Summa Theologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Theologica. Summa
0: So unlike last week, I'm actually going to do the little bit we're supposed to. The oh. Summa Theologica <laughs> would say Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology. And the Summa the- Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. And the first one kind of connects in a way, sort of, what we were talking about in last week's Presbyteral Exhortation. It comes from, from Father, Father Joseph Krupp, at Joan Black, who is an awesome priest on Twitter. Everyone should follow him. Yes. He's just a good just a good dude. Like, I really hope to meet him one day and he's been a priest a lot longer than both of us combined. uh Um, but I think he's got a lot of pastoral wisdom and, uh, a lot of honesty of heart. Like, and there's a lot of authenticity in him. So he's just a really good dude. So you should all follow him on Twitter. Yeah. He says this with all the love in my heart, I urge you to be conscious of your priest's limitations. He can only do so much. And he is vastly outnumbered. If he's a good priest his limitations sadden him as much as they do you. Be kind, be merciful, and adjust your expectations to reality. And I think, I, I, I think you can even say, kind of connecting to last week's episode, this is the case for anybody who works in the parish or in the church, okay? But our your experience, my experience is in priesthood, so we know this well. And I think he's this is such a good point for him to make because we are— we. Are there two of you, Anthony, or three of you? No, thank God, no, no. Yeah, this is a very good thing, and is there's, thankfully there's yeah, impossible for me too. If there were two,
1: I could start my own podcast with myself. I think it'd be amazing. Father Anthony speaking, where Father Anthony speaks to Father Anthony, and we just talk about video games the entire time. <laughs>
0: Uh, we'd be so Anyways. popular. Um, anyway, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, so, yes. So, there's just that fact. We are one man, right? And it's hard. We have, like, I, I know for me, even in my new parish, based on some of my responsibilities and stuff, I had to already kind of limit some things I do in the parish, which affects ministry.
1: Yeah.
0: But I'm like, I'm one man. And I can only do so much. And so, there's that. But it's also, we have limitations in that we have faults and things we're not very good at. Like, I can tell you personally, I am horrible at time management. I I can't do it well. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I don't think about the time cost of doing something ever. That comes from the ADHD to an extent. Mm -hmm. But um, that is something I am just bad at. Or learning how to schedule time for office time so that I can actually get back to all the emails I need to get back to. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah. Right.
0: Uh Or or make the calls that I need to make to people, etc. I'm really bad at that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a horrible thing, and I but I feel it, and I know it impedes sometimes my ability to do ministry. But like like Father Joseph says, I think I'm a decent priest at least. I'm I am saddened by my limitations, and I know them. And um, and there's all you know. You have those personal qualities too of like how maybe. I sometimes because of my personality type want to make everyone happy and I know how dangerous that can be. Now I'm aware of that. I try not to act on it, but I know that sometimes comes out to play in ways I don't expect it to. Yeah, mm-hmm. And that comes out of my decisions and that's a limitation Yeah, because I'm not making a choice based on a pastoral good. I'm making a choice out of my emotional need. That's not good. That's a limitation. But in the end, and I think this is why he says, like, be kind, be merciful, and adjust your expectations to reality. Like, do you want, Okay, like, first off, the days when everyone got to know the priests all the time, they're gone. Goodbye. For most they're parishes, gone. absolutely, yeah. For yeah. most parishes, they're gone, okay? There's That's one expectation people. that we need to adjust ourselves to. And that the priest can address every need of every single parishioner who wants to talk to him, gone. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to talk to a priest all the time. Sorry, just not happening. That expectation's gone. And this is where we need to kind of ex- what is the reality of the priesthood and the life of the parish and in the church? And then what should I expect of the priest based on that? And am I, and here's the other thing. I should there are things that I should expect. I expect him to pray. oh yeah, yeah. So am I making too many demands upon his time that impedes on his ability to pray? That's a good expectation to have. And so I, but again, you make your decisions based on healthy expectations. Again, the priests want to get to know you, and a good priest, he's a pastor of the parish, will eventually get to know most of the people in this parish if it's decently sized. Uh, those at least who want to get to know him. But this stuff takes time, and the nature of things have changed. And uh, I think Father Joseph's tweet is important to hear, and it's important for us to internalize.
1: Yeah, uh, I think uh, as far as expectations, a reasonable one. I think it's important for the priest to apologize when he screws up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think very often we can get into a kind of antagonistic relationship between priests and parishioners. Uh, Parishioners get frustrated with the priest, priest gets frustrated with the parishioners, and instead of working things out or acting like a family, there's this kind of almost rivalry that can happen. Mm -hmm. And you you need to avoid that. so I think you know it's uh, a priest needs to realize it's okay and good Have you screwed up, or maybe even if there was just a misunderstanding. Maybe you didn't even really screw up, but because of stuff that happened, someone was hurt. Still apologize, mm-hmm. and if you get an apology from a priest, accept that because mm-hmm. um, that's that's important for reconciliation. And we just it kind of just brings down the expectations and the temperature. It's like we we we're all a little broken. We all screw up. Um, But as long as we apologize for things and accept those apologies, it it goes a long way. And I'll also say, because this is the other temptation, is that I know also everything you said I I agree with, but I also have met so many parishioners who refuse to try to talk to the priest because they're afraid he's too busy. Yes. You know, so, okay, so never be afraid to reach out to your priest. But the one thing I would like to happen more is if people like called me up or sent me an email and then we can schedule an appointment. And maybe you only wanna schedule a half hour of appointments. That's fine, mm-hmm. or maybe it's a full hour. Like I can get you in my calendar, but the difficult thing is is when I'm running from thing to thing, someone pulls me aside. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm oh. gonna try my best to be there and present, but sometimes I literally can't, either because I have a mass or I have another appointment. And I have to watch out for myself because I can get frustrated in those moments and I can be rude in those moments, and I don't wanna yeah. be. And so that's a difficult thing to navigate. Uh, so, you know, uh, saying hello and BSing with your priest a little bit after mass, I, I mean, I love that. That's a great thing. But if you have something important to talk about, like let's set aside the time and let's talk about it. Yeah, I'll get you in my schedule. Um, yeah, but we just have to schedule it, you know. Yeah. and this is one I, of the things that I, I realized that was a difficult thing um, with some older parishioners at, at various assignments that I've had, where they'll be like, "Oh, just come over whenever." I know. I'm not going to do that i'm not gonna do if that if you either. say come over whenever i'm literally never going to visit you and yeah. it's not because i don't want to visit you but i'm not gonna show up and at your house and you're not gonna be there it it's it's a whole big yeah. mess but now yeah. if we sit down and figure hey can you come over at like two o'clock on tuesday or whatever i can make that happen yeah. let's do that but also no
0: i'm not gonna come to your house every week also yeah no Mm-mm. that's not happening sorry never because I have other prisoners to visit. Listen, or sometimes, guess what? Sometimes the priest needs a day off, a night off. Sure, yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like
1: my. Imp- possible dream would it be to be a parish of like a hundred people it's just me and a little country church and a hundred people and i could see you guys all the time that would be wonderful but that's just not the reality we live in we can't do that
0: no exactly yeah and i think it's just yeah culture has changed and 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 because we're so busy we actually do need to schedule things in because here's the other thing you have an open slot you're not going to think oh who can i go visit right now unfortunately and maybe that's something we need to be purified of ourselves but Mm -hmm. it's going to be Oh, what's the next on my task list that I could fill in this time? Right. right. It, it, it's, it's, and it's not that we don't think, it's just, it is, it's just different generations too. And that sometimes affects the expectations.
1: Yeah. And I also don't want to sound like we're complaining too much because no. uh, most of my p- interaction with parishioners are delightful, they are what brings me life. The meetings I have, the interactions I have, are things that I look forward to Absolutely. and love very much. Uh, so I'm not trying in any way to be like stop talking to us. No, that like we love you. Uh, part of yeah. what it means to be a priest is to like love your people. It's yeah, you know. And I'm I'm actually very introverted, um, but <laughs> a part of the joy of my priesthood is getting to know people and to be with them. So it's not you know like we don't like people. I love people.
0: Most of the time. And and, and I mean, I still remember, I think it was like last week or the week before after one of my masses, I'm walking outside to my car and I got like hounded by four people to do something. And they all wanted me to do it for them right away. Yeah. Mm -mm. All all four. I'm like, I I said yes to this group first. If you're still around afterwards, I'm happy to chat.
1: (laughs) And (laughs) Also, for my brain, if you don't put something in writing for me... Yeah, uh, it's not going to happen. I need an email yeah. or something to plug in later. You know.
0: Yeah, like I had someone ask if they could make an announcement after the masses this weekend, and I actually I said to them afterwards, I said I was a little flustered at first, not because I think it's it's not a good thing. It's just my I have everything set in my head to deal with my organizational issues. I have I work it out really hard. I work really hard to get things set. So when someone comes along and says, "Oh, I want to throw a little thing into this plan." I get jumbled. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to. I don't want to. And I actually said something. I said, I just want you to know, I don't I don't hope I wasn't seeming short or anything. It's just, and maybe I was. I'm sorry. It's. This is what's going on in my head when you present this to me. And I want you to know that so that if you do it in the future, like I said, I just need an hour to let things f- jump around in my head mm-hmm. before I can actually come to a decision so that I can actually think is this doable this weekend and stuff and, and they said oh yeah that's not a problem I said I, I don't it, this is just how my brain works and I've gotten used to this and I'm okay with this but people aren't used to that themselves right so it's just like we all have our weaknesses we all have our strengths we all have our issues and I like, guess I think the heart of this too is tweet is priests are human beings they are not God correct good I, your, your hesitancy for a second got me no. nervous no I was like yeah that's uh <laughs> yeah so we're not gonna be able to do everything well.
1: Okay. Um I'm gonna pick this tweet from Edith and at Catholica Edith and it's a quote from Cardinal Sarah. If you think that your priests and bishops are not saints, then be one for them. Mm. Uh, now, first yeah, of all, kinda, kinda I would prefer well. I would prefer if every bishop and priest was a saint. That is what I would like to see happen. Um, Or at the very least, I would very much like every bishop and priest to very conscientiously be striving for sainthood. But the one thing that I thought of, um, and something I've been very grateful for, because it happened very soon after I got to this current assignment, was, um, oh my goodness, what is the group called? I'm forgetting the name. It's the Sisters of Something or whatever. Dang it. But the, the point of the group is that one person uh offers a holy hour um so like you get seven people and they offer a holy hour every day for their priests yes i have a group doing this for me in my parish and someone told me they were doing this for me and i was like oh my goodness thank you that's amazing uh and it's like i you know even just reflecting on all the ups and downs uh even in these just past two years and like man if people weren't praying for me I. Stuff would be bad. Stuff would be real bad. Like, just in my personal life, my ministry, like, how much, how many of those, like, moments where either I said the right thing or preached the right thing or was in the right moments or had the, the, uh, my mind was in the right place where I could respond quickly to someone in the right way? How much of that was because people were praying for me? Like, that's gonna be one of the really cool things to see once we meet God face to face yeah, is to see just this beautiful web of prayer and support spiritually that has happened and the fruits of all that uh, and so I just greatly greatly appreciate all those who have been praying for me some of them like I don't even know uh, mm-hmm. or uh, I remember even as a seminarian uh, different people would look at the posters of the seminarians you know cause, yeah, you gotta put posters of seminarians everywhere and while I found that kind of annoying and weird, um, the upside was that people would like pick up a poster and pray for each seminarian by name. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, my goodness! Like, if it wasn't for that, I would not be where I am now. Exactly. Uh, so, just in general, because um, there can be an attitude where if your priest is bad, then we have to fix everything. Right. And that usually turns things from bad to worse. Yeah. And don't get me wrong; there are a few things worse than a mediocre priest. Uh, that is a very difficult situation to be in Uh, so but this this deeper idea of striving for personal uh, holiness of praying for others um, does does so much and literally the best way anyone can ever thank me for things other than buying me scotch which that that's that's pretty good but other than that the best thing you can do for me is like pray try -hmm. to be a saint like, yeah. that—that's what makes me happy. That's why I want to be a priest. I want to be a priest yeah. so that people can be holy.
0: Yes, I think like I don't know. For me, like I'd give a concrete experience of this. For me, is when I do spiritual direction for people, and I see their growth in holiness, and sometimes how certain areas of their life exceed my own. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm <laughs> talking about. Like I've, yep. I've, I've I've noticed that with some people. I'm like, wow, you are way better at this than I am. <laughs> yeah. And I'm really grateful for that. You know, like it is a good thing. And it, and like, I actually like, yeah, maybe I'm not perfect in that area yet, but that's God using them as a, as an example to me. And I think if you have your head right on, right. As a director, um, you can have the humility. I think I hope to see that and to just trust that, but it, it's not going to change the relationship. They're not going to become your director now or anything like that. No. It's just more of a, uh, oh, wow. You, you really excelled in this area that I'm not good at. And that becomes an example to me to challenge me to want to grow because I want to be a good director for you so mm -hmm. wait I got to catch up in this area or I need to grow in this area is a good thing for a director to see so that's one place I really see it in or when I hear a very authentic confession Mm. right where I can tell this person knows their heart it's very challenging in a good way to me to become a better priest so yeah cool cool well, speaking of wanting to become a better priest and wanting to be better and be a saint, there's no better way to become a saint than to suffer. Indeed. So let's go into presbyteral exhortations.
1: And now it is time for presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably, mm-hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. Gonna oh, learn to oh, it's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the oh, best oh, part. Oh, yes. yes quite, quite. Yes. Quite. I assume you mean um, you're going to talk about suffering, not that listening to the next segment will be a suffering for people. Ah,
0: it depends on the listener.
1: That's true. <laughs> either way you're gonna get something out of this <laughs>
0: Yep. guess what folks you got to suffer through me and mm. that's just the way it is i think that's why so many people like to listen to our podcast because actually by listening to us they suffer and therefore become saints
1: yeah you know why why would you fast or why would you put like a pebble in your shoe when all you
0: have to do is listen to the clerically speaking <laughs> exactly listen to us by doing it you'll suffer and become a saint oh, that should beautiful. be our new selling point Uh, But yeah, I actually do want to talk about suffering. And I think this ties in, like I said, in the last episode, I think this does tie in well with what we were talking about last week. Yeah. Um, so I went on a, a, some friends of mine recommended to me an Anglican theologian. I know Anglican, but he's very good by the name of Ephraim Radner. He is, he teaches at Wycliffe college in Toronto. Mm -hmm. He's an American. Don't worry. But he lives in Canada now. um, and so everyone's like, I had some friends, some, I have a little theology DM that I'm a part of with a few friends, and they kept on mentioning him the past few days. And then I just had some time on Sunday night. I was like, yeah. So who is this guy? They told me some more. I'm like, ah, that sounds really interesting. And so I went down the YouTube rabbit hole for like four hours listening to his lectures. Yeah. Um, and they were really, really good. So a lot of this comes out of him. What I'm about to say, it's okay. me processing what I've heard. Uh, I have to do more research to see how he backs up a, a lot of his arguments and stuff like this. But we, you, and I know. I think, I think one of the most profound questions, or at least the most common questions people ask today, is, "Why am I suffering?"
1: I mean, that's probably the most asked question from anybody who is genuinely, genuinely pursuing
0: the spiritual life. I would go further than that. I don't know if it's always people pursuing the spiritual life. I think the agnostic asks this question too. Yeah. 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 Actually, I think it can become an opportunity for an encounter that is, um, that can be open. It can be a moment to encounter God, actually, if they ask the question rightly. Um, But what is interesting so Ephraim brings up this point this was not a question people used to ask. Really, yes. And he, so he kind of lays it out at around the 17th century. The problem, we, this is what we call like theodicy, right? Mm-hmm. The question, why does God let good thing bad things happen to good people, is the is the question around it. No, it's not to say that this question was never addressed, but it was addressed differently for the first 1600 years of Christianity. Only around the 17th century does it change. There's a bunch of reasons why he says it changes. Um, this is going to be a little nuanced aside, just for those who care about this a little bit in the genealogical sense. He actually he actually attributes it to the of into the rise of pneumatology, as study of the spirit as a theological discipline. And what he means by this is not pneumatology as we mean it today, in systematic circles like study of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. But it originally just meant the pneuma, the pneuma, right? The, the spirit, the suke, the the soul. Um, so what happened with, and so it's like the starting of psychology and stuff like this. And again, he's not saying psychology is bad or anything like that. That's not where he's going with all this. But he's just trying to get around this idea that we got around this, when, when it came to the unleashing the human spirit, the thing that is really within us, the thing that we really are, it started to create a disconnect with the body. And it started to create a sense of the spirit almost uh, gets us into these places where we can transcend the body and its experiences to find a new life that is away from suffering. Okay. So he he actually thinks that a lot of the prob- like a lot of the problems around suffering today have to do with a therapeutic vision of man. Now, again, he's not saying, I'm talking about that in like the sociological sense, not in the like therapy. You and I say this all the time therapy is a good thing. Yes. Right? Right. We're not saying it's bad. It's just. And, and so he says, and with so with this kind of sense that the spirit kind of frees us from suffering, arises the problem of the question, why do I suffer? Okay. Spiritualism kind of creates an escape from suffering. Or it's meant to, right? He actually sees a strong connection between this and the rise of drugs and drug culture in the last 20, in the last century, for example, because um, drugs create this ecstatic experience that gets you away from your suffering, right? Okay, so it sounds yeah. like uh, the more that we discover ways
1: to escape suffering, the so like if you're suffering, if suffering is just a basic fact of life. You pay almost in a sense less attention to it. It's almost like that's just the way things are. right Right. but the more and more you discover ways to avoid suffering it's almost like the the suffering that you do encounter becomes all the more repugnant to you you right Um, and so then then the question becomes into clearer focus like okay why do I have to suffer at all if I can avoid it these times why is it still
0: a thing that happens to me
1: whereas if life is just hard you're like well life is just hard duh of course
0: it is right one of the things he's trying to argue is for the givenness of suffering Mm mm-hmm okay that suffering's a matter is a matter of fact yeah it is a fact of life and that for the first 16 1700 years of christianity it was a matter of fact everyone presumed life was hard and had a suffering about it because this is the consequence of living in a fallen world that has changed, right? we We have a culture that has that sees what is like the ultimate moral issue today in some ways is the problem of suffering, yeah, right. That suffering is an ultimately is the ultimate bad thing. and it's what we base a lot of especially our medical decisions around
1: oh, again, absolutely, yeah,
0: again, not saying, Doing things to alleviate suffering is a bad thing, but he he tries to make the argument: is there a way for us to move forward, taking kind of our new reality of of an anesthetized culture and and bring the reality of suffering as a matter of fact back into conversation? And I think you know,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, even
0: yeah. thinking I'm I'm gonna, I mean, this probably deserves more than what I'm going to give it, but I think it's
1: worth mentioning anyway. Uh, it's not just as far as the medical thing of of medicating away suffering. I mean isn't even that the heart of an abortion culture where it's um, getting an abortion is a way out of suffering exactly And because suffering is the worst sin that you can commit or suffering not even the worst sin you commit but the worst thing that anything can be sacrificed to avoid suffering even in human life yes same thing with um, uh, euthanasia like this is at the depth of why we make our decisions
0: right And so we are seen as um, we are not sim- we are seen as unsympathetic and lacking compassion when we say no actually th- these are profound places where suffering is acceptable and needed. Yeah because in the mindset we have we have been culturally formed to see suffering as a moral as the greatest moral evil, okay? And so, you know, you're dead on about this. And it, so the question of why am I suffering in a way exacerbates and and, and creates deeper suffering, right? It, it, it's also a sign of our um kind of what you could call like spiritual narcissism. Mm-hmm. We've become so inward focused and self-focused that it becomes we think, why do I receive this thing? Why do I deserve this, right? So it's also a sign of this atomized culture where I see myself as only myself instead of seeing the grander vision of things, um, right? Seeing um, seeing things from God's perspective. But so we, we, and I think this is a fact, right? We know that, like essentially I would say that we have ideologically, and I, when I say ideologically, I don't mean that there was a, a set group of people who try to influence culture this way, but I think there's been a a cultural acceptance of an ideology that has gotten away from the reality of suffering, and has gotten away from the uh, fact, like that 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 it's matter of fact, and so we it suffering is no longer part of our consciousness. This is why when suffering comes. We are grossly underprepared for it. Yeah, yeah. Gro- we haven't been trained in suffering. And I think there's a bit of an ideology that does think that we can actually remove all suffering from this life, including death. Oh, my goodness. I am actually was thinking about funerals.
1: And I'm pretty sure this something we, we, we've talked about in the past. But, you know, the, there's been an increase in, instead of having funeral masses having what you know we in my area call blessing services or just a, a funeral service outside of mass and there's this desire to make it as quick as possible because when you face death you face this inescapable reality of suffering mortality fear of the unknown all of that is thrown right into your face mm-hmm. and if that's something you've been more or less successfully avoiding forever Even for someone you deeply love, you immediately jump to, let's just celebrate life. Let's just make this quick. This is actually, it's actually, it's actually a really good thing. It's actually really good. It's really good. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Mm -hmm. And you avoid entering, like suffering for someone that you love who has died. There's something incredibly important about that and necessary about that uh, and essentially human about that. And like Mm -hmm. I said, I mean, I don't think anybody does this maliciously. These are unconscious motivations and thoughts, but it's something that I see more and more in the culture.
0: Yes. No, you're, you're, how it's how we approach funerals and death are very much a kind of ideological consequence of the removal of suffering from life. But it's, I think what the, what I mean by this, by ideological, essentially, we've stuck our head in the sand and thought, if I don't see it, it's not happening. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not true. And I think if anybody knows their life, that's, that's just, that's just wrong. Uh, so yeah, like this idea, like around celebrations of life. So we celebrate instead of grieve. Like actually, like I always say this at every funeral, every funeral I do, I preach these same words, unless the family has had issues. I say grief is a good thing because it means we have loved and have been loved and we have lost the love of the one we, of whom we loved. Mm-hmm. Right. Grief only comes when good things have happened in life with the person, but you have to grieve because it's a sign of love yeah. and love suffers, right? So, okay. So, and it's at the same time, again, I don't think I recognize part of it's just the cost issue and that's a whole other issue. Right. That's this, totally different. This, yeah, yeah. This, but this like, this gets to the issues around cremation and bodies. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there's a correlation to a denigration of the dignity of the body and the removal of suffering from life. Uh, because we
1: suffer in our bodies. Yes. And the body decaying, the body getting old is yes. a reminder of the inevitability of suffering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and also so, as a side yeah. note, we're not saying that like, uh, one of the, you know, the funerals I've been to, uh, it's very important to 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 mourn and to grieve that doesn't mean you can't (laughs) indeed celebrate good memories share stories absolutely right we're saying but we're saying we're just making the emphasis because the pendulum has shifted way too far on the other side
0: right i I still remember at my grandpa's funeral um that it was very heartbreaking i i loved him dearly um actually that's where my i and that kind of came from my aunt's suggestion and i kind of developed it a bit this idea around grief because uh, um she was saying it's important to remind people it's important to grieve and so i reflected on grief and that's kind of where this has all come from i've never forgotten it since i was a seminarian at the time i preached at the vigil prayers um um, and but i still remember the night after his funeral it it was my cousin's 40th birthday and his wife said you know maybe we shouldn't have this since you know yeah um, since the death of your of everyone's grandpa here. And I said, no, no, no. Everyone said, no, no, let's do it. Because everyone's in town too. So like, let's just do this, right? Yeah. It's one of the best nights of my life, mm-hmm. right? There was sharing of memories, laughter. Like it that comes naturally. Like it's amazing. Actually, I find that happens very often at a funeral. Yep. you go through the grief, and then you and then yeah, you do have the memories. You do share those things, and and and, and they bring a joy and a zest to life. But they can only happen if you properly grieve, right? Right. But also like this idea around the body, like that the again, I'm not saying I'm not even saying necessarily that cremation is a bad thing, but I'm just saying like the presence of a body at a funeral means something. Yes. And that the church still prioritizes the presence of the body is important because the bot it's in the body we suffer and like i know people i i've heard from people who say i don't want the body at anything because i don't want to see a dead corpse yeah so this is getting all around this idea of um that we are anesthetized to suffering we've we 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 are drugged away from suffering and we've been ideologically formed again not intentionally but just by a cultural ascent we have moved away from the reality of suffering what is the problem with this from a christian perspective what does this remove fundamentally
1: well i mean it removes uh one it's a denial of reality right like, i think first of all the fact that like there just always is suffering even our best attempts uh, and avoiding suffering, it's just a reality of a fallen world. So is that, but also, if you remove suffering, you remove what Christ has done for us by suffering exactly. and dying on the cross.
0: Exactly. That's exactly where I was. Yeah, good. You answered for me well. Uh, yeah, you need <laughs> you need the cross. When you remove suffering, you remove the cross, and an opportunity for an encounter with God. And I think in this way, we've actually then thus become anesthetized. thighs. I have a hard time saying that word. So in a way, by removing suffering, we have been inoculated. That's a better that's an easier word for me to say. <laughs> I have a hard, hard time saying anesthetized. I always have a hard a time with one. the S's you know what it is actually, speaking of my grandpa, so he was French Canadian. And so I spent a lot of time around him growing up so I have a little bit of his verbal tics like okay. the way he says the it's like the and I just have those verbal tics and same things around the s's mm-hmm. I've just been formed by being around him so it's actually hard for me to say yeah, no uh, but anyways we've been inoculated against seeing Christ because we've removed suffering from the world right um and we and thus especially for the church we need to recenter ourselves around this reality of the cross And to remove a kind of comfort Christianity. So, for example, we were talking about Brandon's book, um, A Prodigal Church. Yes. He brings up this idea of bourgeois Christianity, where we created a comfortable Christianity, which was at peace with the society it lived in, even though there were ideological differences between the church and America. Okay. That was a wrong move. And we're still paying the price for this. And I really do believe, and I think, and I and I hope that, like, I really believe. Actually, this is an area where the Second Vatican Council actually becomes a real help because if the Church is the universal sacrament of salvation, what's what does that mean? A sacrament makes visible and effective something that is invisible, right? It makes that invisible reality present and effective. Yes. Okay. Well, what's what is it doing? It's saying of salvation. Well, what what's the source of our salvation? The Paschal Mystery. Which means then the church becomes a sign of the cross. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah, it tracks. And so,
0: (laughs) yeah. yeah. So we as a church need to form our identity again around the cruciform one. That the cross becomes our way of life. And so what it does then, like, so in a way, I would actually say that the problem of theodicy that we're dealing with today the problem around suffering that is actually being, I would say, greatly exacerbated. And even in the church, like actually, I think a lot of our, sometimes our reactions, even around stuff around the last six months with the pandemic come from a lack of internalizing the gospel around the cross. Now I'm not saying anyone's bad because of that. It's not anyone's fault. We just just stopped forming Christians around this. Yep. But now it's an opportunity to hear God in the moment to call us back to living this way, right? so if we were but if we remove suffering I would like to argue that we remove Christ Mm -hmm. if we do not suffer we cannot see Christ
1: Okay yeah those are the okay interesting cuz um yeah so when you first say if we remove suffering remove Christ makes sense because Christ came to suffer or die and rise for us but then you said if we don't suffer we can't see Christ yes and i like this this is i think the the deeper insight and it's making my brain Uh, think about things, sort of, but without the words,
0: as is obvious by my speaking. Um, (laughs) You sound like Bill Cosby right there.
1: (laughs) I did. It was uh, unfortunate. The the jello and the pudding Uh, and the... (laughs) No, 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 we're not allowed to do that anymore. Um, That's true, sorry. uh, (laughs) uh, It's 2020. We can't have nice things. I I don't know. Something about this is it it, it, it makes a little bit clearer or... It points to why Christ allows us to suffer. Like yes. why why do we have to live out the dying of Christ in our bodies? Right. Like it seems related to that. It's yes. like, Jesus, didn't you do all the things already? Why do I also have to do the things with you?
0: Yes. So to answer this, I want to make one little more point in answer to what I was just saying. I, I would actually argue that there's a correlation between the absence of suffering and the absence of God. Okay. Does that make sense? Like, as we've removed suffering from life, has there not also been a— co- Now, I can't—this is an insight. This is not a for sure correlation, but I think you can, you can make a case that there's been a correlation between the absence of—, of re- By removing suffering, we've actually removed the ability to encounter God. Right, it's- because we have—we we,
1: uh, we don't look to God for salvation or for even meaning or purpose because we have constructed our own. So while we can't really get true peace and redemption, we can get comfort. And you know what? Maybe we can get by on comfort. Like, that's where God is removed. Like, we, if you have air conditioning, do you need Jesus?
0: Do you really? (laughs) You know? Um, I think there is a correlation. Right. So there is a correlation, but it's also... um... It also speaks to the concreteness of the gospel. The gospel essentially is an affirmation of reality as it is, removing all ideological attempts to twist it into something it is not. And part of the things, I think one of the most radical things the gospel does is say suffering exists and death exists. Does God, now God does actually want to inoculate us against death and suffering, but not yet. Right, and I think part of this comes. So, okay, why? So, to answer your question, why why do we have to suffer with Christ? I think it's actually quite simple. This gets to the problem we've talked about before about mediation, right? What does Saint Paul? I think it's in Colossians. Say, I make up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. That is His body, the Church. Christ and the Church have a deep intimacy with each other. He's the head; we are the body. And so Christ, to universalize this mission for the whole world, is now living out in his body his death and resurrection. Which means that we have to learn to embrace suffering and stop running away from it so much. That this abil- this kind of whitewashed bourgeois Christianity is actually not Christianity at all. Mm -hmm. Because what it's done is it's removed the cross. Only by saying suffering is real does the gospel in all its power and potency have an effect. And it, it, it only becomes a sign of salvation for others when we embrace this in a radical way and allow it to form our life.
1: Right, and just in case anyone is radically misinterpreting what we're saying, when we say remove suffering, how the modern world has removed suffering, our point is, is that it hasn't. Right. That suffering is always there and is always real. And you see that in the successful person who is still miserable. You see that in, in different ways. Like, no one is free from suffering. When we say remove suffering, just so we're perfectly clear, is it's these weird numbing drugging effects that do not actually take away
0: the problem. Right, and this actually gets back to what we were talking about in our in the Suma last week as well. Mm-hmm. I actually believe that if we if we allow the reality of suffering to be real, our desire for our desire will be more awakened. Mm. I don't know why or how. It's an intuition right now. Um
1: if we allow suffering if we enter into the reality that is suffering yeah it increases our desire i think it's because and i think your intuition is right is because once we are grounded in reality once we see things as we are we stop running after shadows exactly and if there's no more shadows to chase after you only have the truth to pursue
0: and here's the thing and i think this is a point i made in a homily a few weeks ago when jesus was saying unless you deny yourself and take up your cross, you have, you cannot follow me or whatever it was. You know, one of those ones about taking up your cross. Yeah. He says stuff like that. He says stuff like this, right? I said, we all so often though, see this in a kind of self deprecating uh, or kind of masochistic way. Right. That's not what I mean by suffering. Rather, what is at the heart of this is self-giving love. And that is the impetus behind suffering. So it's not suffering for its own sake, but it's allowing suffering to be the means by which radical self-giving love is expressed. Yeah. Right? Because that's what Jesus... Jesus, The cross is really about the giving away of love, which involves suffering.
1: Right. And it's also the same acknowledgement of reality. I think St. Louis de Montfort or somebody, one of the saints said this, is that everyone has to carry a cross. Yeah. You either carry it kicking and screaming by yourself, or you carry it with Christ. Right. Like the acceptance of the uh, of the cross, in a certain sense, is acceptance of the reality of suffering. It's Christ right. that transforms
0: that normal, ordinary, uh, and tragic suffering into something greater. Right. So, and this is so. This is the thing. It's it's and like recognize. I think if you ever look at those moments of life where you've embraced hard suffering. You, you can't see in the moment because suffering is very hard to actually see anything good of in the moment. But if you look back with the eyes of Christ, you see how he, he was united with you in that. And I think...
1: Well, it's also important to remember that part of suffering is being confused about your suffering.
0: Right. <laughs> so you're and not
1: I, a bad sufferer because you don't understand what's going on. Right.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So and I think to kind of speak to like, okay, so then what does this look like today? I think this is a hard thing. And that's something I'm going to have to think about some more. This is me thinking theologically and kind of genealogically right now. I'm still kind of, and, and the podcast is my excuse to work through is my thoughts sometimes. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Radner makes this interesting point. He said that when someone suffered prior to all of this, when suffering was more a matter of fact, people weren't numbers and patients in a system. They were members of a community in which the whole community rallied around them to suffer with them and i think so that you can and do alleviate suffering that is a corporal work of mercy right it's a work of mercy to to aid those who are suffering absolutely but it requires a sacrifice on our part to make this a reality this is why i'm not a big fan of like i know because I know there's like a lot of stuff around this, but like when you're dealing with things around like poverty or suffering, systematic, systematic changes aren't really the answer because it denies the personhood of the people being treated. It needs concrete action of us as Christians who are willing to sacrifice and suffer with the people we serve. Because,
1: you know, the, the, an over idealization that all we need to do is change the system and everything works. That's avoiding suffering. Mm -hmm. Like there are systematic evils that we should work against but we can't become, uh, we can't detach that from the reality that we need to participate in.
0: Exactly. It's it's it's. Um, systematic evils are only changed insofar as we actually do concrete action to deal with the problem. Right. And it might be you only deal with one person. It might be that you take your, your, uh, your parents into your home to look after them in their elderly age so that they don't have to go through elder abuse in a care home or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or... That you find one poor person to devote your life to and service to, yeah, right. But this is the thing; it create we need we need to remove. And this is, and I think this is something our generation gets a bit more that we tend to be less system oriented and more person oriented. And I think there's something good in that that needs to be rediscovered. So that the problem of suffering, like here's the thing: you stop asking why am I suffering when you are being loved. By others Huh. because suddenly you see that your suffering is actually a means and encounter for love so I'm going to end with two stories uh, is there anything else you want to say
1: no that's all good I really like that okay. last point too but yeah go for it
0: yeah so I got two points to illustrate this and I may have mentioned one of them before um, actually I'm just going to mention one because I'm not sure I'm not sure if the family of one of them listens or not I don't I should ask permission first um, so I'll deal with one. So when I was working with the missionaries of charity, um, in their hospice, I worked there for four months with people who came in there to die. Not once did I hear a question of why am I? Why is this happening to me? Hmm. Not once. And these are people who've had a rough and tough life who of all the people in the world have the right to ask ask this question. And I want to kind of share one example especially. So this is one of my godsons who I think, I hope, is in heaven now. His name was Christopher. He came in, and he was dying of massive kidney failure. Um, And so he had like bad water... Like he came in, his belly was massive from water retention and stuff like this. And he was covered in feces because he pooped himself. Like I know this is graphic folks, but... This is the reality of his suffering that he was going through. And the sister said, Can you please clean him up? So I did. Right. I got it, took me a couple weeks to get over all the stuff that you have to deal with with people who are dying. (laughs) I remember like the first day I was there, I I had to deal with a dead body right away. (laughs) So you just kind of get thrown into it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, So by then it's like, Yeah, whatever. No problem. And I cleaned him up. We're chatting. He was pretty conscious at this point. We're chatting and everything. And, he likes hockey, and so I'm like, he likes the Sharks, and I'm the Canucks fan. I'm like, so we talked a bit about hockey, <laughs> and I I always ended the conversation saying, hey, would you like to pray before you go to bed or anything? He goes, no, nah, I don't believe in God, don't need that prayer stuff. I'm like, okay, no problem, God bless, have a good night. A Couple days, he he gets his stomach lessened. They finally get a tube in there to drain him and stuff like this, and he's t- his stomach settles down, and and then we so we're able to get him out of the bed and we get him to a shower. And he, like, as we're helping him shower, he kind of grabs the hand nozzle from us Mm -hmm. and just goes to town, just loving the fact that he's being drenched in the shower. So we discovered he loves showers. So we took him to his shower every day. And it'd be like an hour Mm
1: -hmm.
0: because that's what he loved to do. Yeah. And it made him happy. And so we did that. We just helped him in there for an hour. And one day, myself and the other volunteer, Warren, we're just, we're drying him off and helping him. And he looks down at us. He goes, why are you doing this to me? Or for me. I said, because I love you and Jesus loves you. And I just continued drying. Right? Okay. Him and I, we continued to talk. And, you know, about a week after he's been there, we're talking one night. I think it was a Saturday night or something like that. And we're chatting. And I asked him again. Like, it was one of those Holy Spirit moments. The Holy Spirit's like, ask him to pray. All right. But (laughs) you know how this went last time. He goes, yeah, I think I would like to pray with you so we prayed for a bit and I said again this Holy Spirit moment Christopher do you want to be baptized he goes so I explained to him with baptism he goes yeah I do want that oh okay so we call the deacon in Deacon Ben he comes in after mass and comes and baptizes him right then and there I'm the godfather at this point Mm -hmm. (laughs) with death there is no RCIA yeah yeah. (laughs) right Um, and baptizes him we pray some more and then the neck and then he died 48 hours afterwards. Oh. And I always like, like I love that story. I and mean, it's a very personal one for me and I don't say it to boast, but he never asked once, why am I suffering? He asked, why am I loved? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Woo! Yeah. Woo! <laughs> but you can, in a fallen world, you can only love and suffering mm. and I think we need to learn that more as a church yeah so on that note thanks for listening uh, you can find us on Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts, we're there. Please leave a review and tell your enemies about the podcast and tell your friends, or sorry, tell your fr- friends about the podcast and tell your enemies too because Jesus said, you must love your enemies. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. You can find me doing marriage paperwork because I am not going to avoid suffering. You can find the podcast at ClericalPod at Twitter. You can email us, clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram and Facebook. And we will see you all next week. God bless. Peace.